morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our Monday morning live devotional. Hope you guys had a good week. We're off last week for Labor Day. Um, Today, the smoke has settled into Missoula. It's nice and gnarly out there, but we are a weekend in to football season, and so my heart is happy. Uh, Feels like fall, which is good. Fall's my favorite season here in Montana, so... I'm excited. My wife bemoans fall. I mean, summer is dying. She is a summer t- summer child. But uh, football helps us all. So uh, here we are. We have turned the corner uh, to kind of a new genre, era, I guess, if you will, in our F260 Bible reading plan. We have finished the Gospels. And so we read bits and pieces of the four Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I spent last week looking a lot at what Jesus did at the end, uh, post-resurrection interactions he had with his disciples, with his followers. And now uh, we started on Friday the book of Acts, which indicates a new era in the Bible storyline called the Church Age. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, So I'm going to give us a summary. We're in Acts chapter 2 and 3 today, and there is a lot going on, far more going on than we could do in a... 30-minute podcast, and so hopefully you were able to spend some time in it this morning, or you'll be able to this afternoon, and follow up listening to this on either uh, the video will be on Facebook and on the SovereignHope.Church website, Uh, but audio is also available wherever you find your podcast, be the iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and it would help us come up in the search results um, so that our own people can find us easier if you actually subscribe uh, to the podcast, which would be great. So even if you're not an active podcast user, um, if you go and subscribe to it, it helps us show up in the in the search results when people search for Sovereign Hope so people can find, uh, even our own people can actually find our sermons easier that way. So it'd be a great help for us. And we are hoping within, we've got a number of those discipleship discussion podcasts recorded now. Um, and I think we're going to hopefully get one more before we start releasing those. And I'm excited for those. And hopefully those will bless uh, the church as just as much as blessed me talking to these people. So uh, we'll get into it. We are continuing to just kind of look at this. Uh, This is not an in-depth Bible study. This is kind of just openly practicing with you what my devotions look like or should look like. This is a good way to remind me that I shouldn't just read and check off a box, but sit and and, and contemplate uh, what is going on. And so we do, we read the text. Um, I just summarize the text for us here in this space. And then we look three places. We look up, what does this passage teach us about God, the gospel, Jesus? Uh, We look in, what does this passage teach us about ourselves, about humanity, about the state of uh, our own hearts? And then we look out, what does this passage do in regards to how we live as Christians, as churchmen, as uh, parents, siblings, employees, all that good stuff. So Acts 2 and 3 Acts 2 uh, consists primarily of the events of Pentecost. And so what we see is we see in Acts chapter 2, the, the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together. Hey, Adley, sorry. Uh, tell mom I'll be there in a little bit, okay? Um, uh, the day of Pentecost had arrived and suddenly there came like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them, and they rested on each one of them. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And so then we read, and we'll circle back to this in a second, we read a little more about what happens here at Pentecost and the people talking in tongues and the crowd that hears the disciples now speaking all sorts of languages. And then Peter begins to answer their confusion and their concerns with a sermon, a sermon where he begins to pull on themes of biblical prophecy, talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the day of the Lord. Um, and then he calls them to repentance. He says this, he says, uh, in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus. And so if you followed kind of this, uh, uh, devotion, we've talked a lot about compatibility. That is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we see this uh, married right here in what Peter is going to say. Uh, whose fault was the cross? It was God's plan and it was man's plan and it worked together. So God sovereignly acted and man acted as well. And we see this in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's God's sovereignty. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There's human responsibility. God raised him, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for death to be held by him. And after Peter gives this message, they are struck to the heart, those listening, and they say, what do we do? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this uh, climactic Pentecost, this filling of the Holy Spirit, this sermon becomes the seedbed for the church. And we see the church um, begins to develop in Acts 2, in verse 42 and following, of this community that's created. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came upon the many wonders and signs being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So we gl get a glimpse into what the church was like in this day. And then we see this scene between Peter and John and a beggar. There was a beggar who was hanging out um, because he was lame. He, he couldn't walk. And he was hanging out in front of the beautiful gate outside the temple. And he was always asking for money. And he looks to Peter and John and he says to them, uh, he asks them for money. And they look at him and he thinks they're going to give them money. And they say this wonderful thing. Uh, he's, Peter says this, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And they're leaping and they're going into the temple and worshiping. And everyone stops and says, what is going on here? And Peter sees this opportunity. And now he begins to preach another sermon. Um, Peter is full of the Holy Spirit. And that leads to preaching. That leads to gospel proclamation. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And so he kind of doubles down on the sermon he had earlier uh, on the day of Pentecost. And he's calling these people to repentance. He says this, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you now see. And that faith is through Jesus uh, and that faith is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And so he calls them again to repentance. And so that's Acts 2 and Acts 3. Acts 2, we see Pentecost. We see a glimpse into what the early church life was like. And then we see this scene with the, the beggar being healed so that Peter uh, can proclaim this message of the gospel at the end of it. So that's the summary of what's going on in Acts chapter 2 and 3. And so we're going to start by looking up. What does this passage teach us about God? And I kind of have one big thing um, with a bunch of follow-ups is 
we see here God's grace in, in the present time. And I mean the present time because I'm talking about the church age. The church age is uh, kind of a, a theological historical term from everything from Jesus' resurrection until Jesus comes back. That's the church age. That's what God is doing right now. And in this age that you and I are in, we are in the same age that Acts 2 and 3 are written. And do you, like what, what a wonderful thing to think about that we're seeing the promises of God fulfilled in a way that is unrivaled in the history of God's people. And we see this in, I have kind of four ways here, is first we see the Holy Spirit poured out on believers uh, for a permanent and indwelling time. And so the Holy Spirit acts in the Old Testament. It comes and it empowers God's prophets and God's people and God's kings for kind of specific task things. But there are times where the Holy Spirit uh, isn't there when they're worshiping God. And there are times where after the Holy Spirit helps them accomplish their work, the Holy Spirit leaves. Um, but here we see God's Holy Spirit is poured out on his church in a unique precedent-setting time where God's believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and indwelt with it forever. We don't see the Holy Spirit leaving God's people. God's people live post-Christ um, as Holy Spirit-filled individuals. And he ties this to Joel chapter 2. And uh, one thing that we ought not forget in this is we have the same Holy Spirit in us. And so God exists as Trinity, three persons, one God, equal in essence. And so uh, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we have the Holy Spirit, we actually have God with us, God in us. Jesus went to heaven. We don't have a God we could look at, but God in his mercy comes and indwells us in the Holy Spirit in the exact same way this happens now. Now you might say as you're reading this, well, there's this sound of a rushing water. There, there are things like flames of fire up above their head. There's all these signs and wonders that accompany it. Um, but remember, this is a precedent-setting thing in the Bible. And th think of it this way. Um, they just removed uh, a dam in the rattlesnake on the uh, northwest, northeast edge of town. And when they remove that dam, there is this uh, precedent-setting flow of water that comes. And it comes with great uh, display and great power. And it fills things that were once not filled in a way that is unique and visible. But now that the dam has been removed and there is just a strong creek there, it's no less... Uh, formed by the same source. It is no less present. It's just that on the front end, when the dam is removed, there happens to be a wonderful wave of which is followed by a river. And that's kind of what's going on here is yes, there's this, this, these signs and wonders that happen on this front end, but it's because stuff wasn't there. And so it's, it's rushing in its feelings. And we now have today, we have this deep flowing, just as powerful river of the Holy Spirit, which when we are saved, we are filled with that Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God in us in a way that is astounding. Prophets of the Old Testament longed to know God like we know God through the Holy Spirit. What a powerful truth to be in the church age, knowing God better than David knew God. Isn't that crazy? We, we, David had the Holy Spirit at points in his ministry. We have the Holy Spirit indefinitely as Christians of uh, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We also see in this the undoing of Babel. Um, pretty crazy. So this Acts 2 in my Bible uh, is on page 1096. Babel in my Bible is on page uh, nine. And so there's roughly uh, 1,000 and uh, eight, I can't do math. 
1,085 pages of biblical history uh, undone in a moment by the Holy Spirit. Because at Babel, the, the collective sin of humanity caused God to uh, scatter the people and scatter their languages. And here we see, not on a universal level like Babel, but on a small level, what the church is capable of doing. The church is this reverse Babel where sin divided people. The Holy Spirit is uniting people. It is going across barriers of language and uniting people through what? Through what we'll look at in a little bit, through the proclamation of God's wonderful works. The Holy Spirit fills us, and we'll talk about this in a second, for mission in a way that undoes the disruptive effects of sin. This is wonderful. Do you understand what God is doing in this age that is so unique? Um, it is this upside down movement that God is doing in the church for the salvation of the lost and the glory of his name. We see the undoing of Babel in the church age. And we also see uh, the centrality of Jesus in a way that is astounding. Um, what is the main point of scripture? Uh, we saw that in Luke 24 when we read that last week where Jesus says to the two men on Emmaus that, that the, the writings and the prophets all spoke of this. Uh, and, and here we see Peter tying all the strands of scripture to this gospel event. And we see that he uses Joel 2. Joel 2 looks forward to the time when the Holy Spirit would come and fill God's people, both young and old, servant and master. Um, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 16, speaking of David, Psalm 110, Deuteronomy 18, talking of Moses, everything in the Old Testament, all of God's scripture culminate in the gospel events of Jesus Christ. That is the centerpiece. Why do we read this book? We read this book because we need to see how God is redeeming and recreating this world through Jesus Christ. And so one thing that is huge in this that we should see is the centrality of Jesus. He is what God wants us to see. Um, you might be hearing tears on here. It is the morning um, at our house, and it sounds like I have an upset two-year-old right now. So um, welcome to our wonderful home in need of God's grace. Uh, we also see something in this text um, that is unique. Do you realize that when Peter gives his sermon in verse 14, that is the first full gospel proclamation in human history. See, pieces of it were proclaimed. Jesus proclaimed the gospel, calling people to repent. But the events of the gospel of Christ dying for our sin and raising up again was not yet proclaimed. And so here we have in Acts chapter 2, out of all of the years of human history, the first full presentation of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful that we can proclaim something that most of human history can't? And it is just as powerful as what Peter did. Why? Because we have the same Holy Spirit that Peter had. Like here is this wonderful reality that is at place in this text that is present today. And I think we often forget uh, the privileged point and that we are in. Um, I had a uh, professor, Todd Miles, he's come and preached at Sovereign Hope before. He always said the grace of place in redemptive history. Um, and that is where we are right now today. And we often forget that. My family and I watched uh, the new Pixar movie, Onward. And I think it kind of gets at uh, the forgetfulness we have of what God is doing in this age and how awestruck we should be, that we get to be on this side of the cross, laboring for God's glory. And Onward is this, uh, it, it, uh, this kind of magical kingdom where there are trolls and there are uh, sprites and there are wizards and they do everything by magic. 
Um, they start fires with magic. They um, get around with magic. But then uh, someone invents electricity. And as electricity comes, it slowly displaces the magic. And this magic kingdom um, kind of evolves into this kingdom uh, that just looks ordinary by the, the mechanism of modern technology. And I think that that's almost like what happens today is we live in a world where we have the Holy Spirit, where we are seeing God's gospel cross borders in a way that it never did. Jesus says that you will do greater works than me. He says that to his disciples. And what do his disciples do right away? They proclaim the gospel to people from multiple countries and multiple languages, things that Jesus himself didn't even do when he was on earth. Uh, we have the wonderful encouragement, not of a small group of believers huddled in a house of prayer, but believers across the globe testifying that God is doing this work through his gospel. We have magic everywhere in the gospel. And yet it's easy to get distracted just like in Onward by the modern conveniences of the internet. You're watching this on right now um, of the connectivity of our age of sports, of cars, of investments, of all of that. And we sometimes think that God is inactive in our day that, uh, you know, history is slowly crawling to God's end. Uh, and someday we'll get there, but it's kind of on the back burner. But no, we live in this wonderful day where all the promises of God are being fulfilled through the gospel and the church that proclaims it. We are ambassadors of a kingdom which is unrivaled, and we should be distinct because of that. So I'm kind of sneaking in to look in here, and so we're going to do that right now. Um, I'm 17 minutes in. We've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to uh, hopefully pick it up here. Um, one thing I want to just touch on quickly in looking in is that we see Jesus gives us far more than we imagine. And I love the story of this lame man who turns to Peter and John uh, and he wants them to give them some coin. Uh, he, he wants money from them. But they look to them and they say, a gold and silver we have not, but what we do have, um, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Um, we all go to Jesus with some sort of need, right? We, and that need could be uh, that what, whatever. We, we have some sort of felt need of what, uh, what we think Jesus can give to us. But our felt needs are always deeper and Jesus' provision is always greater. And I was just thinking this morning, like you see uh, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, people come with a handful of fish and some loaves, and Jesus gives it to everybody with 12 baskets left over. Uh, Mary and Martha went to Jesus hoping that he could cure Lazarus's sickness, but instead Jesus defeated Lazarus's death. Uh, we see that the disciples are fishing in the end of John, and they're not catching anything, and Jesus calls them to cast their nets on the other side and they don't catch a good quality of fish. They catch so many fish that their boat almost begins to sink. And here we see a lame man, a man who cannot walk asking for silver and gold. And instead in the name of Jesus, he is given healing and he leaps into the temple to worship. Jesus gives us far more than we could ever imagine. And sometimes we feel disappointed that Jesus doesn't meet us with those felt needs. But behind those felt needs is the one grace of God causing us to abound in thanksgiving at what Christ has done for us. And so whatever it is you think Jesus can do for you, he promises to do more, but it's more in his realm. It's uh, not in the world's realm. The world would have rather had uh, the silver and gold, but Jesus gives this man new life, which leads him not to run away, but actually to run into the temple and worship. And so Jesus gives us far more than we ever imagine. And that's kind of what 
creates this community in Acts chapter 2. Why is it that in Acts chapter 2, these people are uh, called together and they're sharing their possessions and distributing as all have needs? It's not because they just got smitten by um, some vague sense of generosity. It's because they realize that in Christ, they have everything they need. And because of that, they are satisfied in a way that moth and rust cannot destroy. And so what they have belongs to God. And what God has, he gives to his church. And so the other thing I wanted to point out here is just the role of the Holy Spirit for mission. Um, people often, and there's, there's good reasons to discuss, you know, what's going on with tongues. What's the role of tongues in our world today? Um, but we often say, uh, how did this happen and what did this look like? But what's astounding is what was actually being said in verse 11 of chapter 2. It says this, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians heard them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And so the Holy Spirit is wonderfully active in our world today. But the purpose in which it's active, we saw in John, is to remind us, the believers, of the things that God has said. But here we see it's active in helping push us to proclaim the glories of God to those in need. The Holy Spirit is the fuel for evangelism and mission. And if you have that Holy Spirit, you have that prompting in your own life. And we see that immediately. This Peter um, is filled with such clear words compared to what we see in the gospel um, because of the Holy Spirit. He begins to boldly proclaim the gospel to people, calling them to do hard things, to repent. He's putting the Jesus' death clearly on them. You did this. You didn't obey Jesus. You rejected him. You put him on a cross. You need to repent. And I think one thing that's interesting here is Peter is talking and he's calling out uh, first, just not, not necessarily in terms of priority, um, but the people who are around it are the God-knowers, right? These are the Jews. These are the people who came to Pentecost. These are the people who think they are following God. But Peter is quick to say, uh, you're missing Jesus. You're missing conversion. You're missing God's grace. You're missing the centerpiece of what it is. And I think for us that we can assume that those around us who know God and who go to church are just like these people going to the temple and are fine. But Peter says to miss Jesus is to miss all of this. And so he begins to correct that by calling them to repentance. And so when it comes to looking out, um, I actually have just one thing that I want us to do. Uh, and that is to pray for conversion. Uh, because I feel like that's the, the big thing that we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're seeing people come to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think we should pray for conversion uh, for two reasons. One, because we have the Holy Spirit and we should ex expect that the Holy Spirit convicts people. I love what Peter did. Peter didn't have an altar call, not to diminish altar calls. I know many people who came to faith in altar calls, but at the end of his sermon in, in Acts chapter two, he didn't give an altar call. Instead, the Holy Spirit struck people to the heart and they came to Peter and they said, what do I do with this? What do I do with this understanding of the gospel? And so you should preach the gospel. I should preach the gospel. I should share the gospel because I know the Holy Spirit works. And just like in Onward, how easy it is to assume um, that we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have this miraculous wonder of God inside of us who carries the words we use and uses it to bear fruit. And so we should pray for conversion um, because the Holy Spirit says we should expect conversion. The gospel is going to go forth because that's what the gospel has always done. And secondly, we should pray for conversion because conversion, the conversion of one is often how the Holy Spirit converts others. And right, we see this story in Acts chapter three, where this man is healed 
and what happens is this leads to more people uh, realizing that they need to repent. It's this astounding thing. People cannot fathom that this man that they knew was now walking and praising God. And Peter says, uh, he, it's funny. He says, you, you're amazed at this. You're amazed that this dude started walking. What you don't understand is the guy who gave the power to do this, you killed. You had Jesus himself, not the power of Jesus, uh, but you had Jesus Christ himself and you killed him and you missed it and you're amazed at this. How could you not be amazed at what Jesus did? Um, and so there's this compounding act where when people see the change of God in the lives of others, it causes others to see that change in a way that's disruptive and allows us to kind of get our toe into their heart to say, this could be true for you too. Um, you've missed so much more. There is so much more than changing of habits and providing of peace. There's eternal salvation and soul satisfying glory to be had in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is actually um, one thing I pray for a lot. Um, I pray, and not, not as much as I should, um, but I know that, that often it's discouraging because we lose sight of what God is doing, right? We, we get so caught up in the light and the technology um, that we forget the miracle that God is doing in this day. And so when I'm sharing the gospel with people or when I'm discipling others, um, I sometimes feel like we're not making any difference, that I'm not seeing the fruit I'd like to see. Um, and so I pray that God grants conversion to our church because I need to be reminded of the miracle of conversion. Uh, how encouraging it is whenever we do a baptism. It is so encouraging to see that God is doing this. No human is reasoning their way to God. When people are saved, God has broken into the deadness of someone's soul, kicked down the door, and fanned the billows of affection by the power of his son. And so I pray that our church begins to see conversion in a way that that you and me and, and the other members in our church are reminded of the miracle that saved us and the miracle that will also save others, that we'd be carried into mission because we are encouraged by what God is doing. And I, I do mean, and I, and I do hope that you join me uh, in praying for the conversion of the lost, um, our friends at work, our, our neighbors. Um, and, and I think it takes starting there because if we just start with evangelize, like go share the gospel, that is good. And you should do that. And I don't want you to hear this and to not go share the gospel with people. Um, but I think if all we do is put the burden on us to go share the gospel, we're diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit to actually convert the heart. And I, I think um, th this might sound like, well, if we're just praying for them, isn't that passive? But I imagine that if we were to do this faithfully and sincerely, um, that it is going to be impossible to not share the gospel verbally with someone for whom we're praying the gospel for um, spiritually. Uh, if we're praying for them, if our soul is aching and appealing to God to save these people in our lives, then we are caught up that God uses means to reach that end. And because our hearts in private are longing for this person's conversion, our tongues in public will be loosed towards that end as well. So, there's wonderful um, shaping things in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3. Um, and, and I do hope that you would join me in praying for the conversion of the lost, praying for our own hearts to see the miracle of what life is like in this church age uh, so that we can be encouraged for mission. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing here. It is encouraging and empowering. Um, in fact, that's even better. It's not just encouraging. It is empowering the mission of God to go forward. And we have that Christ. We have that Holy Spirit. We have this mission before us today. And we know, we do know that God's gospel will go forward. Um, I love 
Um, I love the line where uh, it says there there are many people in this city who are mine. And there are many people in Missoula who God wants to call to conversion. And he's going to do that through the the spirit-filled church. So let's pray for that right now um, before we close. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we live on this side of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would not let our eyes um, see the miraculous as mundane, but instead uh, amaze us at what is inside of us. The inside of us is God himself. It, it is God who is calling us away from sin. It is God, excuse me, who is working in our conscience to call us to holiness. Uh, it is God who comforts us in our weakness. It is God in the lives of those around us who encourage us as we uh as we do the work of the church, singing psalms and hymns to one another. Um, and so, Lord, I also pray that as we are struck by the wonder of your indwelling spirit in our lives, that you help us um, to have a zeal for that in the lives of those around us. Lord, I pray that you uh, strike our hearts with the reality of Acts 2 and 3 so that we might take hope that you are doing these same works today. Um, this is not a once uh, time event in terms of conversion, but that now the Holy, that the Holy Spirit is here, you are converting daily through the power and proclamation of the gospel. And so Lord, we pray for those in our midst and in our communities uh, who do not know you. We pray that you wake their souls. We pray that as they turn to us for perhaps gold or silver or whatever their felt need is, that we show them that there is a Jesus who wants to give them new life and life abundantly. So, Lord, we pray for places where we have been um, apathetic um, and unamazed in our, in our evangelism. And we pray, Lord, that you motivate us to do this for your glory and for the good of those around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We hope to see you Wednesday where you could actually participate in this discussion. Um, and I love to hear that. I'm so blessed by that every week. But I hope you have an excellent Monday uh, and you live for the glory of God and, and Lord willing, uh, you have some wonderful opportunities to pray and to preach this week.